welcome to another episode of Concise Kansaratwa, a podcast that covers politics, society and culture with a twisted skine of satire. The Angrezi New Year has been a checkered ride for me. I visited Gujarat after about four years and managed to get an unhurried glimpse of the Surya Mandir at Modhera. Unlike the Hoysaleshwara and the Chennakeshava temples in South Karnataka, the Mandir at Modhera is smaller and certainly more worn. Despite the destruction by weather, time and invaders, while the architecture of the Chennakeshava temple awes you by what you see, the architecture of the Modhera temple awes you by what you don't see. In other words, you have to pause, stare at the work and imagine what it would have been like in the days of yore. And then the grandeur of the temple would hit you hard. A celebration rather of loss than preservation which is still a more hopeful story than thousands of monuments that have been left at the mercy of the godless constitutional state, which is busy creating a future without understanding the past. If there was anything left of medieval barbarity, then there is always the democratic modernity to take care of the rest. The difference between the two, the godless state and the God-fearing hammer, is simply one of time. In the same temple complex at Modhera, is a small museum which houses sculptures that still, somehow, exist despite extreme efforts from the government to treat them as if they were mannequins in a mall. One would expect a museum to share a few more details than just the possible name of the sculpture and the ballpark century in which it was made. But perhaps such details are not available. I asked the squirrels which scurried in and out of the pieces placed outside, but all they were hoping for was whether I had any nuts to share. The temple was constructed much before the Mughals set their Mojudis on the subcontinent. So, I have a feeling that eminent historians have not really bothered to give their views here. As historical places go, Modhera is a clean and well-maintained place. But without any puja, it is just a sanitized symbol of some forgotten glory. Around the time I was worshipping the Surya Mandir, the AIMPLB, a complicated acronym which stands for All India Muslim Personal Law Board, said that they will oppose Surya Namaskar in schools as a part of celebrating 75 years of Indian independence. The reason, as we know, is that Surya Namaskar more or less literally translates to sun worship and this goes against the tenets of Islam, the same reason given against the singing of Vande Mataram. When it comes to yoga, however, there is always a curious ratiocination from the government which goes with some or other variant of yoga is not Hindu. Assuming for a moment that yoga is not Hindu, and just to make it clear, I don't endorse this escapist nonsense, what exactly does the government think it would achieve? A Muslim could now do a Surya Namaskar without feeling the guilt of borderline blasphemy. A Christian could now do a Vrikshasan without being crucified, metaphorically of course, by the guilt of adopting pagan practices. A Buddhist could now do a Padmasana without worrying about suffering being caused by desire and not by difficult-to-do poses. What exactly does this yoga-not-Hindu argument achieve anyway? If I were to ask the question differently, what exactly would the yoga-is-a-Hindu argument lead to? Does the government think that there would be religious riots because Muslims are asked to do a Surya Namaskar? What if the government tells them to do the poses facing west instead of east? The other argument, although less frequently used, 
is that yoga is just a series of poses a system of physical exercises such as cardio and pilates in fact even pilates is considered as a system of mind body exercises which would make this argument about yoga being just a system of exercises well supremely idiotic even a simple walking routine relies on getting the breathing right so this dumbing down of yoga is either just deliberate deracination or just deliberate deceit i would rather say that this is just a corollary to the yoga is not hindu argument because this is what leads to people using names such as bird pose and cobra pose instead of the original sanskrit one the idea is that sanskrit links to hinduism or more specifically to brahmins and the next thing you know there is some article in the new york times or the washington post about the brahminical patriarchy and caste dissension that is perpetuated in yoga classes in india and the west do we think that yoga exponents over centuries perfected the philosophy of a life in harmony through a disciplined approach of asanas so that some liberal dumbbell can rename poses in english since we are still on surya namaskar and liberal dumbbells the harvest festival of pongal was celebrated recently in the uber enlightened state of tamil nadu as samatva pongal or secular pongal with a section of populace with a rather so open minded that the brains fall out approach this comes as no surprise the act of divorcing pongal from its hindu origins and assigning it a rather secular regional and linguistic origin has been going around for some time the same brains fall out approach also robs tiruvalluvar the poet saint of his religion and that is just a start the festival was celebrated in some churches with pretty much the same iconography of a pot of rice no irony there sugarcane coconuts ginger plantain leaves bananas except that there was a photo of jesus the son of god in the background so the son of god is fine but the god of sun for whatever reasons should not be invoked because well pongal is a harvest festival and it has nothing to do with hinduism such is the ratiocination of rationalists that even logic fears to tread their puerile minds the way angels fear to tread when fools rush in speaking of fools some journalist who goes by the twitter handle quizical guy and who has written a book titled allahu akbar understanding the great mughal in today's india made a tiny point about the moral compass of the british i must point out that the allahu akbar author who is writing about today's india is based in vancouver canada just to ensure that i preserve the genius of his tweet let me read it verbatim quote i just want to make a tiny point gandhian tactics of satyagraha worked because the british had some sort of moral compass these wouldn't work if the opponents were the nazis well meaning people who say that we need to engage with the saffron fascists must know this unquote of course he was roundly ridiculed for this nonsense given that the moral compass of the british could have easily been fit on the sharp end of a needle but the raising of the head of godwin's law needs an expatiation godwin's law in case you do not know states that as online discussion grows longer the probability of a comparison involving nazis or hitler approaches one nowadays godwin's law supersedes murphy's law on social media because before anything that can go wrong goes wrong someone would have invoked nazis or hitler 
the point made by the allahu akbar author is that since saffron fascists who i assume are people who subscribe to a different view than his allahu akbar fakery or like nazis there is no point in engaging with them unlike the british who had a moral compass because they did not kill off the entire population of indians in times of famines famines which were created by them so that indians can become stronger the nazis have no moral compass and by extension neither do saffron fascists sure then what does one do with saffron fascists ah that we will never know but we do know that nazis should be hunted down for their war crimes ultimately the tolerance of the allahu akbar apologists can be gauged by how they deign to treat those who do not toe their guilt edged line such false equivalence is the hallmark of the uncreative left liberal mind so much that any impact that they intended is diluted by the sheer irrelevance of the equivalence hitler is a caricature in india a cartoon character played by asrani in shole the name given to a martinet in school or a tough taskmaster of a parent not the nazi dictator who murdered 6 million jews get some perspective on what works and what does not work in the context of the country or the subcontinent if you prefer to use that moniker for the region the issue is that the equivalent in the subcontinent would be the communists or the moguls but how can the left liberal mind use these as examples after all they have written a book on them and titled it allahu akbar one after another they come up with labels such as fascist or nazi or bhakt or saffron terrorist none of which is even original the only part that they should be credited with is that they made the non left believe that these labels somehow matter to an extent that labels drive the thoughts of the non left instead of their thoughts dissecting these labels if you have a left liberal friend which means that whatever the pronoun has not yet found out that you are proud to be a hindu the best gift you can give is a label maker beneath the vacuum of creativity lies a rather sinister mind which is quite evident from the message of the tweet some people do not deserve to live and therefore they should be dehumanized in such a way that their death when it comes is treated with disdain if at all and is brushed under the carpets of secularism constitutionalism humanitarianism peer reviewism and brotherhoodism until now their voices have belonged to the elite fringe of lunatic liberals but who knows when they will become mainstream asrani perhaps may have an answer continuing the theme of creativity vacuum netflix recently said their lack of success in india has been frustrating in a way this is hardly surprising given the initial pricing which made the streaming app pretty much out of reach for most further there was free trial being offered by the likes of jio and airtel and of course the sharing of passwords between friends the lack of local content also did not help and i would not be surprised if the executives in india that netflix had hired convinced the management that indians are enamored by the west and therefore local content hardly matters incidentally some started blaming the lack of success of netflix in india to the blatantly anti hindu content in their shows by that logic bollywood would have been abandoned in the early 1960s if not earlier also you just have to look at the content on hotstar or amazon prime to realize that netflix is not the only one peddling anti hindu content in the name of modern entertainment firstly 
anti-Hindu content is rather difficult for most Hindus to detect, given the subtle propaganda over decades from communists, evangelists, no-religionists, constitutionalists, and assorted syncretins who belong to the intellectual brood of Jawaharlal Nehru. If you identify yourself as a Hindu, live in an urban environment, and enjoy the Indian shows of Netflix or Prime or Hotstar, chances are that you would not identify anti-Hindu propaganda if it slapped you from inside the screen of your smart TV or your smartphone. The raising of the consciousness about anti-Hindu propaganda in movies and web series has been a fairly recent phenomenon. Let me repeat this. I am not saying that anti-Hindu propaganda has been recent, but that the awareness of anti-Hindu propaganda has been recent, aided and abetted by the rise of social media. Unless you know what you are looking for, you would simply miss every subtle and gross ridicule targeted against the Hindu religion. Secondly, there is the whole fan myopia, which means that if your favorite actor is on the screen, you would laugh at Lord Shiva chewing a gum or coming out of a restroom instead of questioning why a Hindu god is being subject to deliberate ridicule. You could replace your favorite actor with favorite director, music director, singer, composer, and it would make no difference. Fan myopia is a powerful force. Thirdly, there is hardly a repercussion for any of the thousands of pieces of content that you see every day, from advertisements to web series to movies, peddling their anti-Hindu stance as if the world otherwise is a paradise where biryani packets grow on trees and evening winds sing Sufi strains. Sure, there is some backlash as brands have withdrawn their ads and made corrections, and some shows have been shelved, but overall, the repercussions are few and far in between. I wouldn't be surprised if brands and production houses nowadays use subtle anti-Hindu propaganda as a strategy to create a controversy and reach out to more people. So, while we can continue our comfortable thoughts that Netflix India has not done well because of their anti-Hindu propaganda, the truth lies elsewhere. Another reason given is the woke stance of Netflix, where they happily change stories and characters to suit their alphabetical fetish for woke culture, such as what Marvel did with Eternals, a long, boring, mediocre, superhero cringe fest riddled with stage stereotypes. Once again, the number of people in India who know what woke culture is and who would be bothered by it or much less to create a dent in their performance. Eventually, I am sure the virus will spread, but right now it is just infesting the fringe. Most just look at time pass entertainment and are least bothered whether the content is anti-Hindu or pro-woke. It is better to face that bitter truth rather than living in the comfort of false schadenfreude. With that, we come to the conclusion of this episode. And although there is a lot to talk about in the Kansaratva way, we have the weekend to think about too. May Kadiravan bless you all.